Welcome back to WBAI 99.5 FM and to Driving Forces, where each week we focus on the politics and the policies that affect our city, our state, and our nation. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, and each week, Celeste Katz-Marston and I dive into the topics that are dominating discussion. And today... We're plunging right into the tragedy of Andrew Cuomo, his resignation announcement in the wake of allegations from a series of women about sexual harassment, possibly even sexual assault. But as we will discuss with our guests today, this may not be over. The governor gave 14 days notice. There's still debate over whether our state legislators should hold impeachment hearings. There's still other ongoing investigations. So please stay with us this hour, because in the second half, we are opening up the phone lines to hear what you have to say. And we want you to answer the question, what should the future hold for Andrew Cuomo? Also, what is his legacy? And as my co-host Celeste Katz, Marston wants to know what happens next. Welcome, Celeste. Hey, Jeff. Great to be with you, as always. It's uh, It's been a busy few days here, obviously. Uh, political reporters scrambling, trying to keep tabs on everything that's going on, a lot of late-breaking developments, you know, a lot of, uh, I think, rather... Uh, defiant remarks from the governor and from his attorneys uh and i was going to say from his supporters but you have uh you have to look uh pretty far and wide to find any of those these days uh then of course that you know culminating in this announcement that he's going to be stepping down in 14 days made that announcement uh not that long ago uh and that uh, lieutenant governor kathy hochel will become the next governor of new york not only that but she says that she will not only uh complete his unfinished term But she herself will run for another full term after that. So uh, that's fairly new development, but lots of things going on here. And I hope we can get to as many of them as possible, because there's certainly a lot to talk about. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because some of what the lieutenant governor had indicated during her public remarks yesterday is that as she begins, once she steps into office, she's going to obviously show a number of people the door. She's also going to have to select, and this is going to be one of those, what do we call it, parlor games, uh, Celeste? Uh, mm. You know, who's going to get to be her lieutenant governor? I'm sure they're either, you know, they're vetting a number of people and a number of people are saying, pick me. I'm sure, Celeste, you want your name to be on that list. Yeah, you know, I've I've been lobbying steadily to uh to stay out of government or any managerial responsibility all my life and I'm going to continue to run on that track record of results by never ever running for public office. <laughs> so it's just to be appointed to it. Yeah. In just a few moments, we're going to bring on our first guest, and I'm talking about New York State Assembly member Yulene New. Uh, she, we were expecting to have on uh, Senator Alessandra Biaggi with us today, but she had a last minute conflict. They gave us enough notice, but we are very happy that we've got the Assembly member joining us. But just to recap, for anyone who has not read the papers or seen the news, very, very briefly, last week, 
New York State Attorney General Tish James released a report that caught the Cuomo team by surprise in its timing and in much of its content that basically excoriated him for a series of alleged harassments of women, including his aides and a state trooper, who, according to reports, by the way, recent reports, was handpicked by him and elevated to a prime role on the governor's security detail, even reportedly driving him, advancing further than others would have normally done so. And those, as Celeste mentioned about, you know, not many people have been coming out publicly to to defend him. His staunchest defenders in the past went silent, reversed course, demanded he step down. The governor then strategized ways he could still stay in office, even floating the idea that he would agree not to seek a fourth term if the legislature would avoid holding an impeachment hearing. But then over the weekend, we watched one of his closest aides, Melissa DeRosa, who herself has come under fire for hair handling of a lot of this, resign that a former executive assistant, Brittany Camiso, alleged he in fact had groped her at one point. She filed a criminal complaint and multiple district attorney's offices are now investigating. Now, facing all of this as his allies, in his view, became his enemies, the governor likely realized there was no path to redemption. And earlier this week on Tuesday, he announced that he would resign. And as Celeste mentioned, his lieutenant governor, Kathy Hochul, will soon be elevated to the governorship, becoming the first woman to lead that office in our state. Celeste? Yeah. So and, you know, the thing here that's very interesting about some of these machinations is not so much really the palace intrigue uh, stories and, and all that sort of internecine drama. And as somebody who's had to write those stories, like I get it, people are interested in them, editors are interested in them. But, you know, what we're really talking about is who's going to run this state? And, you know, does Andrew Cuomo have a path to uh, running again for another term? If he steps down now, could he come back? You know, how would an impeachment process? process uh, actually affect that. Uh, judiciary was going to meet about that uh, next week. Uh, some people want to move forward, uh, saying you should be held accountable. You know, uh, some people are saying, look, let's just uh, let this go. He's stepping down. The immediate problem is solved. You know, what should we do? Uh, what should we do next with, uh, you know, the the stewardship of our state? And I think that's something that, I, you know, as much as the, um, the drama and the personal conflict and as much as the seriousness of the accusation accusations leveled at the governor. I think that's something that we should talk about. What? Who's going to be running this state? And as Celeste had noted, you know, there's been a number of critics, one of those who before even this past week over a number you know, of issues uh, that ha- a person who's been criticizing the governor for his leadership has been New York State Assembly member Yulene New. Just a bit about her. She has spent her career working on legislative and advocacy campaigns. In 2016, she was elected to serve the 65th Assembly District, and that covers the Lower East Side, Chinatown, South Street Seaport Area, Financial District, and Battery Park City. She previously had served as Chief of Staff for New York State Assembly member Ron Kim, where she assisted thousands of immigrants, small business owners, teachers, seniors, and others. She's drafted legislation to expand language access for immigrant communities and fought for affordable housing and expanded services for seniors. And in the Assembly, among her accomplishments, she's pushed to improve financial protections for consumers, particularly for unbanked communities, and worked to secure funding for uh, NYCHA repairs, and stood with tenant rights advocates for better housing regulations. And we will be asking a bit about housing issues coming up. So, Assemblymember New, welcome to WBAI. Thank you for having me. It's good to be on. 
It's good to have you back. You know, we had spoken a few months ago, so I'm very happy to have you on now. I know we're discussing a, a serious topic. The governor had until Friday to produce any new evidence to the Assembly Judiciary Committee. Then he announced his resignation. What do you think brought him to this point? I mean, I think that really, I mean, all of us were very kind of surprised since we know him that he um, resigned. But then we thought about it, and it's actually not a shock to us that he still wants to control the narrative, giving himself 14 days. Like, this is not, you know, a job where it's like, let me give you a tweet notice. Um, this, it, it, it's, uh, you know, he he broke many laws, you know, and it's not really um, that kind of moment, right? And I think that just because the governor is resigning, it doesn't also mean that the toxic culture of abuse and misogyny that he thrived under is going away. Um, we obviously have to actively work to change that. We have to pass legislation, et cetera, and make Albany a safer uh, place to work, um, a harassment-free workplace. And I think that resignation, obviously, is the first step, not the final step. I think that resigning doesn't mean that he gets to avoid accountability for what he did. Obviously, as a public servant, I feel this very strongly um, about public service. I think that people in public service are and should be held to a higher standard. So, Assemblymember New, thanks for joining us here on uh, Driving Forces today. I really appreciate hearing from you. Hi. And so I wanted to ask you, um, do you think that an impeachment should go forward? You know, there are already some criminal investigations, at least at least one that uh, or maybe more than one, actually, that Jeff mentioned earlier in the program. But what do you think? Does Andrew Cuomo just walk away from this? Is there a point to proceeding with an impeachment? Where are you on that? I mean, I believe that we still need transparency. We still need impeachment. We still need sunlight in this process. We still owe it to the victims of the governor's predatory behavior to offer a full accounting of what happened, even when he's no longer in power. I think that, you know, we must remember that the governor's abuse of power um, extends far beyond um, the women he victimized and hurt and groped. It extends to the millions that he made on the book deal in a, you know, mockery of our ethics laws by, you know, abusing um, his own staff and um, utilizing state resources in an illegal way. It extends to the victims of COVID-19 in nursing homes whose deaths he erased and hid from lawmakers. Um, This is a pattern. This is serial abuse. And I believe that impeachment is necessary because impeachment means that New York will not be paying Andrew Cuomo's pension for the rest of his life if we pass James Goofus's bill. And then it also... Um, you know, means that Governor Cuomo will not be able to run for office again if the Senate takes that away from him. Um, and then also impeachment means securing justice for all of those who came forward and for a lot of the people who were unable to come forward. You know, and I think that this is something that is really important for us to be able to have healing and closure and for us to be able to have precedence in saying and showing that this kind of behavior um, and you know, this kind of unlawful behavior uh, shouldn't be just let go, but we should be setting a precedent that this is something that has consequences and we need accountability. Do you think there are sufficient votes to uh, uh, to run a successful impeachment? By that, I mean uh, actually uh, taking action against him. Or do you think that some people, now that he has agreed to resign and effectively go away for now, that people will find that sufficient? Where, where do you think the temperature of, of the legislature is on that? We have not met again, so I actually cannot gauge that right now. I'm 
literally, you know, also processing this the way that other people are by listening and understanding where other people's statements are at, reading what other people are saying, seeing in the news what uh, folks are saying. And I'm, I'm hearing it for the first time, just like all of you are, because we have, as a conference, not gotten back together. Uh, we do know that the Judiciary Committee is still meeting on Monday. That has not changed. And so we will see what the outcome of the Monday uh, meeting is. So, uh, Assembly Member, I want to just go back to his resignation announcement because I had read something that you had said, and you know, and I reread his remarks several times and had mm-hmm. similar impressions. You felt he was gaslighting the women that he had hurt. Can you talk yes. about that? I mean, you know, the term gaslighting is just basically saying that you know somebody's saying that you're imagining it. You know, when something actually is truly happening, just to make you feel like you know very. Um, unsure of your own thoughts mentally right and it's just i think that you know one of the things that he keeps on doing is to claim that you know these women don't know um don't understand that you know this is he's you know saying generational thing a cultural thing um he didn't understand that the line had been redrawn and that's why these women were offended or like maybe it's just that they are offended because they don't know what it's uh, you know, what what it really is like to be hit on him, and they're just, you know, imagining it in their head, you know, or, or you know, they don't know what it's like to be hit on, or they, they can understand that, or like, oh, they're imagining that this is a come on. And, and, and I just felt like, you know, not only was he continuously hurting folks and continuously abusing them, they were, he was also calling them, in this essence, liars, right? Um, because, look, as uh, a woman, as a survivor, as somebody who, you know, who has had to also work in Albany. I know when somebody has crossed the line. I know when somebody has made a comment that made me uncomfortable. I know when somebody has made a comment that is inappropriate. You know, I am a grown woman and I know what that's like. And I know that these women know what that's like. And I think that it's disgusting that he continues to do that. On top of that, he continued to gaslight New Yorkers, basically. Also told New Yorkers in his remarks that in exchange for resigning, he'd like the Assembly to not impeach him and not investigate his conduct any further. This is gaslighting all New Yorkers because he's saying, oh, well, impeaching is costly. We have to get back to business. Well, guess what? Making sure that Albany never has something happen like this again is also going getting back to business. Making sure that we are... Um, holding folks accountable is also making sure that we never have to do this again ever in the future. Impeaching him isn't what is costly. Not impeaching him is what is costly. And in terms of what you see, uh, you know, the road ahead, and you and I have talked a little bit about this, but uh, having worked in Albany myself for a number of years as a reporter, mm. but spent a lot of time in the Capitol, spent a lot of time with people mm. also, you know, with these after hours gatherings that, you know, quite frequently are, are, you know, fairly tame and innocent people just going out to have dinner or drinks afterwards, but sometimes they're not. Um, having right. seen some things that I wish I personal, personally had not seen, and I'm going back years and years. I think my first mm-hmm. My first session that I worked in Albany personally was, I believe, 2001. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm just wondering, you seeing this and saying all the things that you're saying, what is it going to take to change the culture of Albany? Can it be done? I what mean, has to happen? <laughs> Celeste, you've worked there for so long, so you know what this is like. It's, it's, it's a toxic culture that is pervasive and not just pervasive, but allowed. It's like sanctioned almost right and it's it's like this for so many places of power and i think that you know with 
my being there um, starting, I, I mean, I, I started a little bit after you. I mean, 2011, 2012, right? 2012, yeah. um, when I first joined Ron. And I think that um, it's been almost, uh, I want to say, 10 years, almost 10 years of being in Albany, right? And so um, it's been very different from the first week that I was there to now because we've had more women elected. And I think that that has changed the culture of Albany significantly. Um, when you were there, I mean, only what, maybe 10 years before that, did they even have women's restrooms in the Capitol building because they never thought that women could be legislators. So, yeah, I think actually you know, in the uh, in the press room, the LCA in the press room in Albany, uh, there was a bathroom. Uh, there were bathrooms out in the hallway that everybody could use. There was a bathroom in the press room. It only had a urinal. Right. And so they thought that it was only men, right? And so and for a long time it was. <laughs> for a long time it was. And that's why I think that when we're looking at the way that, you know, things are changing, I think that your your question is so significant in the sense that, you know, with more people, with more diversity, with more uh, people who have a better lens on things, like, you know, there's going to be change. Um, when I first went into... Uh, you know, the Capitol and was going into the chambers with Ron, um, you know, we had somebody come up to us and ask us kind of very racist things, you know, uh, made made a comment that was a little bit racist. And I, I was kind of startled by that. Um, my, my first impact on, like, the legislative office building apparently was, you know, uh, to be on a hot or not list. Uh, and people were just gophering into my office to see me, and I was like, what is going on? And I didn't find out till months or maybe a year later or something that I was on a hot or not list, and that was why they were gophering and looking at to see if I was hot or not. And then there was, um, you know, my, my first entry into uh, the elevator, I got my, my butt grabbed by somebody who I found out was a legislator. You know, these are... These are the things that happen in Albany. And like you said, you know, the, the, the after work um, festivities, I guess, um, were, you know, a very, uh, part, very much core and central to, to how Albany worked, quote unquote. And we were always told this is how Albany always is. We were always told, like, this is, um, you know, the good, good old boys club or like this is how, you know, things will be. And these are things that are constant about Albany. And. I think that we have to change that, you know. We have to actively work to change that. We have to pass legislation that will make Albany a safe and harassment-free workplace. You know, we, we passed legislation in 2019 to protect workers in the workplace from sexual harassment. Um, and this was landmark legislation. And people talk about it. The governor himself bragged about it, you know. Um, but people don't know that we exempted our own staff from being protected. We exempted our own government staff from being protected. So I have a bill with Senator Andrew Gennardis to close that loophole. And it's because both of us were staffers that we understand how important this is. Do you think now that we're going to have a woman in charge of the state, that things will get better or it's going to be the same old, same old? I mean, look, I think that, you know, obviously um, the executive office will have a huge change to it. Um, And I think that, you know, this, like I said before, it doesn't mean just because he's gone, it doesn't mean that the toxic culture is going to be just gone just like that. There's a lot of things that make it so that power is pooled in certain places within Albany. And I think that we need to 
be centering survivors and creating a culture in Albany where they actually feel safe reporting misconduct, etc. And I believe that Kathy Hochul should be a key ally in all of this, but obviously nobody can do it alone. And we have to actually have a systemic change. You know, everybody kept on asking me in the last couple of days, like, what do you see in a seamless transition? I was like, I don't pause. Like, I don't want a seamless transition. I want us to rip out the seams. I want us to change things like very, very drastically right now. I think that it's a time for us to really show that this is something um, that we take seriously. But we'll still have to see if uh, folks, you know, in the legislature and in the executive are going to take this seriously and change all of these things. And as far as that drastic change, I mean, Kathy Hochul has said that she's going to be cleaning house. She's going to be making a lot of staff changes. There were a number of people in the governor's inner circle that were mentioned in the report. The focus largely has been on his actions. But you think of someone like Melissa DeRosa, uh, who was mentioned 200 times in the report and not favorably at all in most of those cases. What should happen to all those people who were, I'm going to use the word, enablers? I just... If she doesn't want them to be part of her administration, um, I think that shows something. And I think that, you know, it would be, you know, a smart move to make sure that uh, folks who are um, a part of enabling this kind of toxic and abusive behavior um, does not actually come back and be able to, you know, do public service. Because I will say that the way that um, many of them worked is... Uh, the same way that many times our government uh, worked and the way that Cuomo worked, right? He didn't care about New Yorkers. He only cared about Andrew Cuomo. He never cared about New Yorkers. And I think that this is the way that um, a, a lot of, you know, the culture that he had, it was like, protect Andrew, not protect New Yorkers. Protect Andrew, not protect New Yorkers. And it was a constant um, cycle. And it was, um, as my... A uh, very good friend, Alessandra Biaggi, would say, you know, it was, you know, very hard to, um, you know, understand because it was almost like your head was spinning. Like, in, w- in one sense, it was like, you know, you had to do your job. In the other sense, it was like, you know, there was this confusion on, like, whether or not you're doing a good job, you're being berated at one second, and then you're being praised in another. And it was very, very um, abusive in that sense. You're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons, and we're speaking to Assemblymember Yuli Nu about what is happening in Albany with uh, outgoing Governor Andrew Cuomo, but also about incoming Governor Kathy Hochul. And Assemblymember, you know, I think a lot of people are just sort of getting acquainted with the Lieutenant Governor and uh, who she is and what kind of person she is and what kind of job she's going to do. I think that, you know, as the first female governor of the state, there's a lot of pressure on her. I think we all know mm-hmm. that women face extra pressure in these situations, especially especially when they're first. Uh, is there anything that you can tell us about her? Uh, have you ever had opportunity to work with her or speak with her? What, what should people know or expect? Um, I think that one of the things about Kathy that I really admire is that she actually did come to my district um, multiple times. We have spent a lot of time together and, um, you know, I am very familiar with her staff. Um, I'm familiar with, you know, how she operates. And I think that, you know, for um, all, a lot of the things that, you know, we may or agree on or disagree on, she's always willing to listen, which I, I think is a very, very good quality to have in a leader. 
So I know we only have a few minutes left. There is a topic, you know, you mentioned that, you know, the legislature has not been back in session. There is a topic I did want to get to that's very close to me because I work with a nonprofit that's been helping to uh, pick up people's rent arrears, uh, you know, mm-hmm. over this last year. You know, we that's can really come wonderful. back. Yeah. And you've you and Alessandra, who you mentioned, have uh, sponsored legislation to extend the moratorium. What's the scenario right now and why is this needed? Because I really think our listeners need to know about what's what's happening in a few weeks. Yes. So um, because, you know, in uh, our legislative session, we were able to pass an emergency rental assistance program. Um, the emergency rental assistance program uh, was a, you know, $2.6 billion allocation towards uh, rent arrears and to uh, future rent for the tenants who were unable to pay their rents uh, during this period during the pandemic that made it very, very difficult for folks to be able to um, make ends meet. And we know that a lot of people, not due to their own fault in any way, shape or form, were unable to actually have income or were able to work. And so this is why it's so important that we actually provided um, our small landlords with some relief. And we know that um, it's very difficult uh, in this period of time to be able to, uh, you know, pay for all of the, the things that comes with owning a property, et cetera. And we're trying to make sure that this program has enough time to be able to roll out. One of the things that I wanted to, um, you know, include in all of this is that, you know, I mean, I had a bill that would make it so that it was a lot simpler, I think, of a mechanism so that we had more efficiency because the more that you have to do um, checks, the more that you have to have um, forms and things like that that make it so that it's difficult for the money to go out, the, the, the less fast it will um, hit, you know, for, for our landlords and be able to have them to be able to get that money um, and, and be able to pay their bills. And so I think that you know, instead we passed something that was a little bit more com- complex, and I think that, um, you know, I think that the protections are really great in it, but the, um, but like the income requirements, et cetera, make it very, very difficult. And I think that, um, you know, the check for it is difficult, not the fact that there's a lot of people who have needs, right? I think that it's really important that we get this money out quickly, but also we need to make sure that people are not getting evicted during this time. And this is why we wanted to extend the moratorium, at least for the period um, that, you know, the federal government is telling us that they will need um, and that the state is tell- the state OTADA program is telling us that they will need. And so um, I we had a public hearing um, just this uh, week on all of the different things that were not working within the ERAP program. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that we could understand how to get this uh, program, you know, to be able to respond quicker. Um, they are saying right now that they are uh, not getting as many applications as they should. So we hope that by having this program as well, uh, talk to folks and get this information out there that there will be more people who are willing to apply. Um, so I think that it's really important that we apply for this uh, and have a lot of people applying for it. If you need help um, because uh, the website is down or if there's uh, translation or language needs, please reach out to your assembly offices. Please reach out to us to be able to help you with your forms. There's a lot of community-based organizations who are helping with this uh, application process. Yes, it's very, it has um, 
you know, been very difficult to get answers back, et cetera. Um, but we want to make sure that we are uh, holding up the parts that we need to make sure to do in order to uh, get this program rolling. So we've only got about 30 seconds left, and I want to, uh, I'll have you uh, provide our listeners with information in just a moment of how they can get in touch with you. But I'm going to ask every guest this in the next few weeks if there's not any decision right away. But might you throw your hat in the ring to become the next lieutenant governor? Um, no, thank you. <laughs> I think that that's a wonderful position, um, but I unfortunately am, uh, you know, just going to say please, no, thank you. Assembly <laughs> <laughs> uh, member, how can our listeners get in touch with you? And, you know, you mentioned if there's issues with ERAP, they should call your local assembly member. So uh, tell our listeners a little about how they can find out more about you and get in touch with your office. Yes, so every, every single person can get in touch with their assembly member by going to our um, website on, uh, online, which is going to help you to be able to find your assembly member. It's nyassembly.gov. So nyassembly.gov helps you to get to um, a web page that will make it so that you can find your own assembly member by typing in your address, et cetera, and you can also find the information to be able to get access to them. Um, for me personally, I have a work email that is uh, just my name, Y-U-H-L-I-N-E, at my full name, Y-U-H-L-I-N-E-N-I-O-U dot uh, O-R-G. So this is my own personal Gmail for work. Um, and then I have, uh, obviously, my Twitter account where I can be very annoying and people can criticize me as all they want, <laughs> at, <laughs> at Y-U-H-L-I-N-E, just my name. Thank you so much for having me. Perfect. Assemblymember Yulene New, thank you so much for joining us here on Driving Force today. Really appreciate you taking the time. I love talking to you, Celeste. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to do it again I soon. I haven't you in so long. <laughs> all right. Miss you guys. Bye. All right. Thanks so much. So you've been listening to WBAI 99.5 FM. This is Driving Forces. I'm Jeff Simmons, joined by my wonderful co-host, Les Katz-Marston. Coming up after a very short break, we're going to take in a few moments. We're going to take your call. So write down this number or get ready to call 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. One thing I want to say, Celeste, she just ended on that note, and that's yeah. something I've actually witnessed you know she's really good about responding uh, when people are being get very personal on twitter uh, you know they're people are very abusive especially when they're anonymous and she is very good about just putting people in their place yeah and i think that's great you know and there's there's of course a couple of schools of thought on that do you you know are you uh, feeding the trolls are you negotiating with the terrorists but you know sometimes it's nice to see somebody say you know what look we're not going to we're not going to have a discussion go this way you're not going to speak to me like that not because i'm in elected office or because i'm in the media or because i have a bunch of money or whatever it is but you know what because it's not right because it's not correct to treat people that way uh, fortunately you know i think here at WBAI we don't always agree but I think we try really, really hard to bring all kinds of voices from all kinds of different communities into the conversation, Jeff. 
I agree, you know, and that's why if you are listening right now before we take our breaks, less than I do want to take a moment, you know, and this was mentioned by John Kane earlier this afternoon uh, on his show, and I hope you were tuning in there too, that, you know, we, we like our listeners. Our listeners mean a lot to us. And John had talked about how we've all been provided with lists of our BAI buddies who, who become BAI buddies in the name of our shows. And unfortunately, you know, Driving Forces is doing okay, but we could do a lot better. And if this is a show that you tune into each week because you want to hear guests like Assembly Member Yulene New, or you want to hear, you know, we've had uh, Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul on before. Uh, if you want to hear this type of, of programming, you know, or, or any of the programming on WBAI, then become a BAI buddy. Celeste, what is a BAI buddy? So a BAI buddy is, well, first of all, it's my favorite kind of person. And, you know, <laughs> I like lots of different kinds of people, but BAI buddies are my favorite kind. And basically all that means is you come on our website, WBAI.org, and you make a recurring donation. It only takes a minute to set up, but it helps us a lot. And it can be in any amount you choose, although I will say if you uh, contribute $25 or more, that makes you a member of this station, which has lots of privileges and perks. You should definitely check it out. And I always like to remind people, too, if you're like, well, gee, I don't know, financially, you know, these aren't the greatest of times necessarily. Like, is this a good thing for me to do? We are a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, which means you can write off your donation on your taxes. So that if that's something that you are thinking about, you know, if this is a financial matter to you uh, and, you know, for a lot of people, uh, you know, every bit counts and we get that. But, you know, think about the fact that you can write this off uh, as a deduction on your taxes. So don't WBAI.org. We've been around for more than 60 years. We would like very much to be around for another 60 and keep bringing you great programs on politics, policy, music, art, culture, uh, you know, a lots of the conversations that make New York City as wonderful and vibrant and complicated a place uh, as it is. So please check it out, WBAI.org. Just click Ways to Donate. And as we get ready to take a break, we want to remind you the number to call in our studio is 212-209-2877. Again, that is 212-209-2877. We want to hear from you about what you think about our government in transition. So we're going to take a brief break now and leave you with some Tina Turner when the heartache is over.
Tina Turner here on WBAI New York when the heartache is over. Uh, and is the heartache over for New York State? Good question. We're about to find out from you, our callers. This is Driving Forces here on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston and I'm here with my co-host, Jeff Simmons. We are looking at the implosion of Andrew Cuomo, who announced his resignation this week, but not his departure as governor amid calls for him to get lost in the wake of an attorney general's report detailing a really damning series of sexual harassment and misconduct allegations against him. We're going to go to your calls. If you want to get in on this, are you happy to see Andrew Cuomo go? Why did it take so long? What do you think is going to happen to him next? 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. And we're going to go to our first caller now, WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hey, 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 this is Charlie from Roslyn Heights. How you doing? What's going on, Charlie? Well, I'll tell you, I want to make two important points about this. Very, very important. Okay. Uh, I'm concerned because this was diminishing our democracy, okay? Uh, I don't know what Como did, okay? But I do know we live under a system based on the rule of law, okay? mm. based on the enlightenment ideas and all those great things and stuff. Uh, he didn't get a chance. If, if somebody did something... Uh, they have a chance to go to court, be accused by their accusers, and be, and then bring their evidence. See, the American people brought Como into office, and our democracy was violated by ta- by some people taking him out. Now, wait a second. With these people, uh, there were eleven people. Here's my second point. There were eleven uh, girls there, uh, women there, right? Eleven women don't have the power in the real world. Eleven women don't have the power to take out a governor. They were backed by big, big money. We should be asking why the Democratic Party or, or both parties wanted him out, number one. And first of all, like I said on my first point, we should be very concerned that our democracy is being uh, is being diminished by this. Okay, so Charlie, I, and I and I take your point. And look, you you are right that he was the duly elected governor of New York State. There's no question that he was legally in office by the will of the people. But that's exactly what an impeachment is. It's a trial. It's not a. It's not a. a, a criminal charge like, you know, when the cops arrest you for speeding or something. It is a legislative trial and it has parts and he could have opted to stay where he was and stand trial and not resign. Do you think he made a mistake? Should he have stuck around and had his trial, as you say? Yeah, in front of the American people. The Amer- okay. By the way, by the way, no, no another, another, uh, they also accused Como of, uh, of the nursing home thing. Uh, Como mm-hmm. did, by the way, what the CNC told him to do with those people. If those people died, then it was the policy of the CNC. Okay. Now he should not have. I, I agree. He should not have covered up those uh, those numbers, and the deaths and stuff. But you know, a lot of these things are just. He's, he's becoming like a scapegoat. I'm not pro Como. I'm an independent progressive. Okay. okay. But when I see people uh, witch hunting, it gets me a little upset. Because that's okay. our democracy, that's our system, and it's going to come back and bite you. Well, we'll we'll definitely uh, we'll definitely take your point, and uh, we'll be interested to see what happens next. Thank you, Charlie. I think we're we have some more callers on the line. I think we're going to go to another one, but that's an interesting question. Two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. So there you have Charlie saying that uh, you know, in a way, this sort of uh, this this isn't really in line with the system of governance we have set up, which calls for the possibility of an impeachment, which again is a trial in the 
legislature about whether the governor should be removed. He chose to resign without going through that trial. What do you think of that? 212-209-2877. And we're going to get to our next call. You're on the air with WBAI. What is your name and where are you from? Decaliano from uh, Riverdale. Hi, welcome to BAI. What's on your mind today? A couple of things. One, uh, through the years, I've learned through many guests and, and experts on BAI that high-level government, no matter where it is, and if you're really, you know, quote-unquote connected, and you're getting a lot of things going or people are happy with you at high levels, it's a dirty business. And... What we've learned here in VI is that nobody gets in those positions, even president, unless there's dossiers. So there's a, so people have an out to get rid of you. I think it's possible that he actually said no about something, and then they bring you down. And this has been known about this stuff. You know, it's, he went overboard, and that's you cross the line. Uh, you know, one thing I found out today. It, some people don't know about it. And what we talked about in BAI, he set up a special trooper uh, uh, situation where he had testing people in, in the Hamptons with the COVID being paid by state government. And then the trooper had to take those swabs and get them either to New York or to Albany. And this happened once a week, maybe, while we were moving. And I think we're, yeah, I think we're, we're losing, we're losing the sound on you a little bit, but I think there's certainly, and Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there was a discussion in the past about Governor Cuomo trying to get some sort of expedited testing for uh, people in his immediate friends and uh, family, you know, uh, that there was, that there was some special treatment there. Although, so that, that's kind of an interesting point. And if you want to, if you want to jump in on that, 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. Yeah, politics is a, a dirty business and uh, there is a pay to play and there's influence and all these things. But, uh, you know, in the face of this, what, 168 page exhaustive investigation with reams of documents, multiple interviews, uh, public statements in some cases by some of the women involved here. I mean, you know, uh, is there is there anything that would convince anybody that nothing happened here? I mean, Jeff, what do you? <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were asking the listener or me, but yeah, and I, Both. I think, I mean, and go beyond just that. The nursing home investigation, the book deal, you know, for our listeners who've paid attention to this, the, the allegations are that a number of his staff members had worked on what would be government time on his book in which he drew, uh, what was it a million dollar or more than million dollar advance? Uh, book sales, by the way, were not that great on that book. Wonder if there's going to be a new chapter added to that. Did you, anyway. did you see the sales on his first book? <laughs> not, not if you didn't have a microscope. So I know we had another caller on the line. So let's just get to that, uh, the other caller, because I know also we wanted to bring up a little more about Kathy Hochul in a few moments. I've got another caller on the line. Welcome to WBAI. What's your name and where are you from? Hi, Jeff. Thank you very much. It's Russell in White Plains. Hi, Russell. Um, good, to, good, good to have you on today. How are yeah, you? It's great to, great to hear your informative show. One impo- unimportant point to Charlie and Rosalind Heights is that a minority of citizens vote. 
So a minority of people put Cuomo in there, and it's important to get him out because he's unable to govern. Now, about that bridge, I'd like to ask these people who support Cuomo, especially the women, how much are the taxpayers going to have to pay for the lawsuits that these people are going to take out against the government? And how much is it going to cost to replace the bolts on that bridge that are popping out hundreds of millions of dollars? This guy's going to cost us so much money, and these people who support him, I don't understand. I have a cardboard box with... Fire Fredo on it. I'm going out to I-287, and I'm going to put it over the bridge sign where it says Cuomo. Now, I like I like what you said about Kathy Hochul. It seems nobody wants this go- lieutenant government job. Lieutenant governor job. She had 11 years of waiting. She would have waited four more. She doesn't seem to be a leader. Uh, the Buffalo Billions thing. I'm sure she's involved in that. The, the forced vaccine she's already gone on to. But what I'd like to say is that landlords and tenants have an opportunity here to work together. The government has screwed up the whole system. We can work together and take over these buildings that they're putting up all over the Upper West Side. Thanks very much for listening, folks. Russell, thanks for giving us a call. There were a few uh, topics there. It's interesting when he mentioned the landlords and tenants. You know, Celeste, that that's the topic that I've been just very focused on right now. Something that the assembly member had talked about with her legislation. I want to go to that. ERAP, as she mentioned, the emergency, uh, I always mess that up, but ERAP, the, the distribution of the funds, emergency rental assistance program funds, that has suffered from severe dysfunction. Uh, you know, and that, that that's a significant issue that's going to continue. I want to remind our listeners, you are listening to WBAI 99.5 FM. I am Jeff Simmons, joined by Celeste Katz-Marston, and we are taking your calls. We want to know what you have to say about Governor Cuomo's resignation. Also, if you want to weigh in on Kathy Hochul becoming our next governor, the number to call is 212-209-2877. Once again, that number, 212 212- Two zero nine two eight seven seven. So before we get to our next call, something that you should know that earlier today, Kathy Hochul appeared earlier today uh, on the Today Show, and she was interviewed by Savannah Guthrie. She was asked about her readiness for the job, and then asked if she'd run for the office, run for a, a election to the office in twenty twenty two. Here is what she had to say. Reggie, play that clip. Yes, I will. I fully expect to. I'm prepared for this. I've led a life working in every level of government, from Congress to local government. I am the most prepared person to assume this responsibility, and and I'm going to uh, ask the voters at some point for their faith in me again. But right now, I need their faith, I need their prayers, and I need their support to make sure we get this right. And I'm confident they'll see that I fight like hell every single day. It's how I'm hardwired, and I'm looking forward to this challenge, and I won't let New Yorkers down. That was uh, Lieutenant Governor currently Kathy Hochul speaking on the Today Show at Savannah Guthrie this morning when asked, will she run for her own full term after she serves the balance of Andrew Cuomo's remaining term? And certainly a very strong yes from her. You know, something I want to add, Celeste, because, of course, I am incompetent and could not find this clip. But the last time that Kathy Hochul was on WBAI with us, she and I had talked about uh, Governor Patterson. I had worked for him and he was running for a lieutenant governor. We talked about his new book that had come out. And she, I think she had said it was like on her nightstand. And something that, uh, that, that I was just recalling today was me kind of joking around with her that 
in his book, David Patterson had written that the job of the lieutenant governor is basically just to sit there and to wait till the governor dies or leaves office to be able to be elevated into that position. Uh, but she is someone who has been out there throughout the state. We've seen her a number of times. A number of the nonprofits I work with have said to me over the last few days how often they have encountered her, met with her. Something that Yulene had mentioned a little while ago is that she was in her district. So she is someone who really has crossed the state and met a number of people over over the years. Yeah, and I think that in a lot of ways, the well, in general, perhaps, the lieutenant governor's job is kind of like the vice president's job, which is mainly to support the person at the top, to uh, explain to people and sort of sell people on their policies, uh, to bring uh, feedback to the governor uh, and uh, let him or her know uh, how things are playing out, but not necessarily to get a lot of attention for themselves. Lieutenant governor, you know, gets the same joke as as the vice president, that the job is to uh, to call the governor in the morning, and if he picks up, then you're done for the day. And I think that in Kathy Hochul's case, and in the case of other lieutenant governors, that has not been uh, true. She has done a lot of traveling. She has done a lot of meeting with people. She has done a lot of uh, fact-finding. Uh, certainly, uh, we've had her on this program, as, as Jeff mentioned. Um, but, you know, I'd, I'd be curious to hear from our own listeners, from you guys. What do you think of Kathy Hochul? Do you know anything about her? What kind of governor do you think she'll be? 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. I think we have one more caller holding, so we're going to go to that call. Thanks for waiting, WBAI. You're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hello. My name is Rose. I'm calling from New Jersey, but I lived in New York for many years, and my parents are from there. Glad to have you, Rose. Uh, I, I don't know her personally, but I do want to make one very important point, and that is that he must be impeached so he doesn't have the rewards of a pension. This could have far-reaching effects on all levels of government, even including the police, because we have a lot of craziness going on on this planet, and we need to hold people accountable by affecting their economic well-being. Just saying, oh, I'm going to leave now. I got a book deal. Goodbye. No, 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 no. Well, that's I, a I that's a very preposterous. that's a very interesting point, and um, you know, I, I, well, I've been I've been, in, I've been sexually harassed when I lived and worked in New York City, and I got fired because I I fought back, and these women are going to run into all kinds of draconian stuff when they're going to try to get jobs elsewhere. So, if you take the guy's pension and and get him out of the way, the people of New York do not need to pay for his picadillos. I think that's a that's a very interesting point. And I think that's, you know, that is something that uh, probably we haven't talked enough about, which is we have all talked about how difficult it can be for people to come forward. And, uh, you know, you, Rose, obviously, having had your own experiences with this, know that firsthand. Um, but, you know, what happens to people after they, uh, you know, have the the, uh, you know, uh, the courage to come forward and take on somebody as powerful as the governor of New York State? You know, where do they go after? After that, where do they go when, when we're not talking about them on the radio anymore? I think that's an excellent point, and I'm really glad that you brought that up. Yeah, I just it seems to me that um, giving him a pass by not impeaching him puts the the economic thing on the people of New York, and they don't need to pay for his his games. Real simple. Great. Thank you, Rose. Really do appreciate your call, and uh, really appreciate everyone who called in today. I wish we had time for more callers, but uh, we're coming to the uh, coming to the final moments here. Jeff, what do you have uh, on in store for us on City Watch on Sunday? 
So I will be back Sunday morning at 10 a.m. with City Watch here on WBAI. My focus is going to be on the cultural sector in New York. I'm sure many of our listeners might have heard this on the news that uh, I believe it was West Side Story that will not be returning to Broadway. So I will be having a few great guests who can talk about the return of culture, starting with New York City Department of Cultural Affairs Commissioner Gonzalo Casals, as well as Tony Award-winning producer Ken Davenport. And I'll also be joined by an artist who's received one of the City Artist Corps grants, which have been helping performers and artists who've been impacted by the pandemic. And next, uh, the week after that, on City Watch, my co-host David Brand will be back. He says he's looking at possibly uh, doing a show as we're nearing, if you can believe it, the 20-year anniversary of 9-11, Celeste. That's that's uh, really sort of a, a stunning sort of uh, put put me on my heels for a minute. I cannot believe it has yeah, been that long. Years. And as you you and I, as uh, you know, we experienced it uh, covering it firsthand that day. Really shocking to think that that much time has gone by. But I will be interested to tune in if that's the case. And I'm sure we'll be talking about that here on Driving Forces as well. So we want to thank uh, again uh, today's special guest, New York State Assembly Member Yulene New, and also of course to thank our uh, our great engineer Reggie, who keeps this show good going, uh, the hero of the day every day. And finally, thank you to you, our listeners, who, uh, who makes this show lively and exciting every single week. So uh, just as we're getting ready to close, you know, I just want to say something the governor had said in his remarks this week. He said that today, so much of the politics is just noise, just static, and that's why people tune it out. Well, I disagree. We all have a right to voice our opinions. That's why you tune in to WBAI and to Driving Forces each week. We're occupants of the state. We're voters. We elect people who represent what we believe in, who support making our world a better place in which to live. And when they ignore that, when power and ego supersede judgment and doing the right thing, then we vote them out of office or we rise up and we demand that they either do the right thing or they step down. So that is why we value your voice, the voice of BAI listeners, why Celeste and I endeavor each week to bring you guests like like Yuli New, who you heard from today. This is a station that values you. So your comments are not noise. They are not static. And as Celeste always says, we will see you on the radio next time. Have a great day.